Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olaomi Brigway, a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, where we are teaching and equipping women who have a burning desire for significance to create an exceptionally successful and fulfilling life without burnout or stress. In the not too distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. My mission is to teach others to experience the same. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, we have only one goal teach and empower Christians to take full advantage of their rights and privileges in Christ so they can build exceptionally successful lives. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. I'm truly grateful to you for engaging with me on these podcasts. I'm truly, 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 truly grateful. Now, on to what I'm going to be talking about today. Hmm. (laughs) To be honest, this should probably have been maybe episode two or even episode three of the podcast because of the frequency at which I get these kind of questions, questions along these lines, right? Um, I can confidently say that probably about 60 to 70%, maybe 50 to 60% of, of messages that I get of calls or, you know, coaching and all that, um, has to do when people, you know, come to me for advice, when people tell me what's going on in their life and they're like, what do you think or whatever it is, and they're looking for counsel or whatever, or they listen to one of my teachings and they come and give feedback most of the time. So at least 50%, 50 to 60% of the time, it has to do with someone that they love, someone in their life, um, whether it's a spouse, a husband or wife, or a child or a sibling that they love or whatever it is. So a friend of mine gave me a call and this is generally just to give you an example of uh, what I mean. So a friend of mine called me, uh, this was several months ago and she was deeply frustrated with the situation in her home, particularly with her husband because she felt that he was making the wrong decisions, the wrong choices that was now starting to negatively impact the family as a whole that was impacting their finances that was impacting the children that was impacting their marriage and she had you know she said it's obvious to anyone that he he's making the wrong choices and the wrong decisions 
um that she had tried everything she knew to do she had talked to him she had tried to encourage him she had even you know in her own words she had prayed she had bribed she had you know even nagged she confessed she had bribed she had threatened self to try and get him to change direction but it seemed as if the more she did the more she said the more the man her husband became more resolved in doing what he believed was right and he basically was just not having it. He was not listening to her. So she was like, you know, I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I don't understand this. And she was basically ranting to me, right? And as I listened, you know, I just listened. I let her say everything she was going to say. And I asked her a question that was once asked to me too. So I, I asked her a simple question. I said, with everything that you have done, the way you have been doing it, has it helped you has it been successful have has it achieved the purpose that you wanted it to achieve has it achieved the desire that you have for your husband has it helped him to change the way you've always done it because you've always done it exactly the same way which is all the things that i that i read out and she paused for a minute and she said no so my next question and i knew the answer was going to be no okay my next question to her was but if it's not working, if you've always done it this way and it's not working, then it should, that should be a hint to let you know that it will never work. So there must be a better way to try and influence your husband to change direction. And then I began to tell her what that better way is as taught by scriptures. All right, as taught by scriptures, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today, right? That is what I'm going to be talking about today. Now, let me let me let me give let me put a caveat out there. This one that I'm teaching today is for the mature, okay? Is for the mature. This other way, this better way that the Bible teaches us to influence somebody to change their life, to change somebody's life that you love. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. That's why many people resort to the emotional strategies that we tend to use, which is the manipulation, the anger, the nagging, the saying over and over again, the, you know, using all sorts of things to try and get the person to do what you want to do. Whether it's a child, whether it's a spouse, it doesn't really matter if the person is three or 60. It might even be a parent, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter right it's easier the point i'm making is it is easier to resort to these ways that we are used to right emotional blackmail in some on, on on some level that actually never works it's easier to do that but they are useless at the end of the day the other way that i'm teaching is more difficult to do it will require a dying to self it is only for the mature it is only for the mature. And the truth is, unless you commit to this process that God has outlined, you are not really ready to see your loved one changed. You may say you are, right? You may strongly desire it, but the truth is you are not willing to pay the price that it would take for them to change. If you truly desire to see change in the life of a loved one, this is a way to go about it, but it is not the easy way. Okay. I just wanted to say that now I'm ready. I'm going to teach this podcast in two parts. First of all, 
I'm going to talk about why nagging or its brothers or sisters, the crying, the manipulation, the, you know, going on and on and on about the thing and uh, trying to bribe, trying to beg, trying to, you know, really threaten and say, if you don't do this, I, this is what's going to happen in this marriage, blah, blah, blah. If you, you know, all those things, threatening the child, threatening the husband, threatening the sister, whatever it might be. Okay. Why all those things are not just, you know, ineffective, they are counterproductive. They could, they could actually end up harming that relationship and take you further away from being able to help that person that you love. So I have four reasons here why nagging is counterproductive. The first one is this. You understand that words create images, right? You know, words create images. So for example, if I want to help you understand something I'm, if I'm speaking words to you, I will use words to try and paint a picture. I've said this many times on the podcast. If I, for example, say red car, all right, I'm trying to transmit an image to you. I'm not trying to get letters into your head. Do you understand that? Because you don't see R-E-D-C-A-R. What you see is an image, a picture of a red car. Now, in order to transmit the image that I'm seeing into your own mind, I can begin to add more details through my words. So I can say, oh, it's a red Ferrari. And then you immediately picture a red Ferrari. I can say, well, um, you know, it is brand new or whatever it is. So I start adding, it has gold trims, whatever. So I use my words to transmit an image. So I have an image in my mind that I'm going to, that I'm trying to transmit. I'm trying to create or paint the same picture in your mind. And I use words to do that. So words transmit images, words transmit images, right? Now, if you understand that, if you understand that, then it means that every time you open your mouth and you are nagging, that loved one, whether it's your spouse or your child or similar, right? And you're saying, I don't understand why you're so lazy. I don't understand why you always behave in such a, you know, an insensitive way. You know, you are always doing this to me. Do you understand? What are you saying? The words that you're speaking, what are they doing? They're creating an image in two ways. First of all, you are reinforcing that image in your own mind. So you tell a child, you are so naughty. I don't understand why you're so naughty. You're so rude. Why do you treat your sister like that? Why do you treat your brother like that? I don't understand why blah, 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 blah. You're doing two things because words are not, you, you know, because words are not visible. You don't see your words coming out of your mouth, right? Words are spiritual. And as you're speaking those words, you're doing two things. You are creating an image of that person in your own mind. So even though you desire through your nagging to get this husband who you're saying is very insensitive to be more caring, that's what you desire. But if you keep saying you're so insensitive, you're so insensitive, first of all, because the words are first of all coming out of your own mouth. So you are first of all hearing what you're saying that image the picture you are painting of your husband or your wife is that this person is insensitive so you're actually poisoning 
your image of that person with the words that you're speaking. And because you are also channeling and directing it to that person, you're also basically poisoning their own God-given image. You're poisoning the image of who God created them to be. So he keeps saying to that child, you are so untidy. I don't understand why you never, you are, you know, you are never on time, except we are saying that. And that child is absorbing that image. They are being morphed transformed into the very thing that you hate that you don't desire for them do you understand that so what happens over time is every time you are nagging and because nagging is consistent you keep saying the same thing you keep saying the same you keep saying the same thing you keep bringing up the same thing right you are actually reinforcing that image in yourself and in the person and obviously as a result of that they become more and more who and what you don't want them to be. Okay? So words create images. Every time you speak, you are planting a seed that is creating a picture, right, of that person in your mind. That is how you will see the person. Number two, Jesus taught us in Mark 11 that if you keep saying to this mountain and you believe what you are saying, and you don't doubt what you're saying, the mountain will do exactly what you're telling it to do. Do you understand? What do I mean by that? As you're speaking, the image is, even though you are saying, don't be naughty, don't be naughty. Why are you always so naughty? I don't understand it. You're, say, you're creating the image that this person, this child is naughty, or that spouse is insensitive. The more you believe it, this is the point I'm making for the second one. The more you believe it, the more powerful your words become. Did you get that? The more you say it, the more you believe it. And the more you believe it, when you say it next, the more powerful your words become in, in causing that person to become that thing. And the Bible also says that whatever Adam called them, they became. Whatever Adam named the animals, they became. So if we keep nagging, and nagging is always negative, right? Nagging does not encourage. So nagging is not, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so sensitive. Oh, you know, no, 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 no. When we nag, we point out the flaws, right? That's what nagging is. Nagging is basically pointing out the flaws over and over again. And that person, because the more you say it, the more you believe it. And the more you believe it and you keep saying it, you, the more spiritual power is being released to convert that person into the very thing that you're saying. So that child, that husband, that wife, as you are speaking those words over them, they are becoming more of that thing in their life, even though the, that's the last thing you want by the evidence of your constant nagging them over it, right? Anything you have authority over will bear the fruits of your words, whether it's your children, whether it is your marriage, whether it is your work, whether it is your hobby, whatever it is. If you have authority over something, your words eventually will create that thing to be what you're saying. That's the second reason why we really should think twice 
about this constantly saying something negative or nagging to the people that we love. Our intentions are pure, but the results honestly are catastrophic. The third reason is this. Human beings generally don't like to be wrong. Even if it's a one-year-old, all right? One of the first words that a child learns is no. Say no. <laughs> right? They don't like to be wrong. Say, don't touch that. No. It's the first word. It's one of the first things a child will learn. <laughs> we are called to dominate. God said to Adam and to Eve, he said to, when he created man, he said, have dominion right so the human being was not created to be dominated by another human being now you may say ah, i'm not trying to dominate and i'm trying to help this person this person is walking down the wrong path i'm trying to get them back on the right path no remember to you it looks like a wrong path to them what are they seeing they are choosing to go in a certain direction right? They are choosing to go in the certain direction. Once they have made that choice, trying to force them to change direction, it comes across as dominion. And what would, how would they respond to that? They will respond through self-preservation, wanting to defend their version of the truth or their territory at all costs. That is what tends to happen. That is what rises up, right, in the, in the heart of someone. Unless someone that, you know, someone else, uh, unless someone whose will has been successfully broken. And that's terrible. We don't want to get to the point where we will break the will of our children. Do you understand? Where we'll break their will. No, God forbid. That is worse. That, God forbid. Okay? So a normal function human being. If you keep trying to, you know, dominate, like using your words to try and force them to go in a certain direction, even if this person is your child and you think you have to say, do what I say, because I say so. Let me tell you one thing. Let me even say this here. Since we're on this, they may do it because they fear punishment. Okay. And because they're in your house, when they leave your house, they will do what they want to do. That's why. Um, that kind of fear and intimidation based parenting is never good. It's never good. They'll do it all because they're afraid, but they haven't learned anything. They, they haven't gained understanding. They haven't gained understanding. So basically as they, the more they obey you out of fear, actually the more rebellious they are becoming on the inside that as soon as I leave this house. As soon as I leave this house, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do it this way. Do you understand? So that is why it is not good to use those kind of emotional based tactics to try and force someone to change direction. Even if you're absolutely right in what you're saying, even if what they are doing is bad for them, it's injurious. Okay. <laughs> And the fourth one, the fourth reason is, do you also know that 
it renders your prayers ineffective. One thing that I hear all the time when people come to me and they say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to change this person. I don't understand why this person is making this kind of choices. I don't understand why my child, you know, is something, something, something. And they, because we're Christians, we default to prayer. So we know to pray. We pray. So you take it to God in prayer and you pray, pray, pray. Say, so I say pray. Say, but I've been praying. I've been praying for 10 years. This man will still not listen to me. This woman is still not, you know, making the right choices, etc., etc. Now, did you know, you know, going back to the point I made in number two, that the more you criticize harshly, the more you nag, the more you name this person, the thing that you don't want them to become, it is affecting the image in your own heart. And if you take that same image into the place of prayer, so your heart, there's an image that is created in your heart that this person is wicked or this person, this child is naughty, this child is rude, this child is disobedient. That's image you are holding in your heart, but your mouth in the place of prayer is saying, God, you know, help this person become obedient. Help my child learn to hear. And you may even be making confessions about that child and declaring the word that you're obedient. You listen to your parents, etc. But the image, the way you are seeing that child is that that child is completely disobedient. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, your heart is far from me. Your lips or your words are near me. There is no reconciliation between the two. Therefore, your religion or therefore this thing that this appearance of religion that you have in coming to me is in vain. It is fruitless. It is not going to yield any results. Do you understand that? So what's the point of spending Two hours in prayer and saying, God, you know, just release your spirits. Come and help this person and all that. And then you spend the remaining 22 hours criticizing harshly, speaking words out of anger and literally releasing curses over that person. Which one do you think is going to work? Of course, it's the one that, you know, that is coming out of the abundance of your heart. So it nullifies your prayer. You may say, I've been praying. I've been praying for 10 years. It's not true. As you are speaking, the words is falling to the ground because what is really in your heart is not, is at odds with the words you are speaking. There's no reconciliation between the two. Jesus said, if you speak and you don't doubt what you are saying, if you believe what you are saying, that is when the mountain would move. The mountain will not move if your heart believes one thing, but your mouth is saying something else. It is, you've wasted two hours in prayer. Seriously. Okay. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to <laughs> belabor this point, but those are the four reasons. In fact, I can close, I can close this thing here. This, this episode, I can close this episode here because this in itself is gold. It's enough for us to think twice about how we engage with the people we love in trying to help them, in trying to get them onto the right path when we think they're going astray or they're making wrong choices and wrong decisions. But it would not really be fair to say, don't do it this way and then not lay out how it should be done, which is what I'm going to do next. So how does God teach us in his word through the scriptures to be his agent of change in the lives of our loved ones or someone that we love or admire or someone that he puts his love into our hearts for. It might even be someone you don't know very well. 
and he just, you know, draws you to that person and he wants you to help influence or impact that person's life? How does God teach us to do it? He says in Luke 15, then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Now, hold on a minute. Mate, what? I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, when I read this story, maybe not for the first time, but when I came into like consciousness of, yeah, I'm reading Bible to understand it. And since then, right, I, I've always wondered what is up with this father? I mean, you are still alive, oh. Inherit is inheritance not supposed to be given after somebody has died. The boy didn't or we don't even know how old he was. We just know he was younger son. He didn't wait for you to die. He just came and said, Give me what belongs to me. And the father said, eh, okay, you want it? Okay, ah, okay, no problem. Take. Why didn't you stop this son from doing all these things? Why didn't you say no? I'm not going to give you the inheritance. Why didn't you try and stop him when he was trying to leave? And when you found out that it was farming, why didn't you go and you know try and get him to come back home? The answer, truthfully, to that question is maybe the father did everything he could. Okay. Maybe he did everything he could. Now, what I respect, because this is a picture actually of God the Father. Right, the kind of love that God the Father has for humanity, for his children. The truth of the matter is, which brings me to my first ingredient, it is respect for the free will that God has given a human being. Even if the person is your child, listen, you have to come to a point where you accept that, like I said earlier, you cannot dominate another human being. The Bible says to train up a child in the way that they should go. It didn't say force a child to go a certain way. It says train them up in the way that they should go. So take opportunities to teach, to instruct, to correct, to point them in the right direction. And then when they are old, they will not depart from it. We're not under any circumstances meant to force or to try and break the will of a child in forcing them to do exactly as we are told, simply because we say so. There's a will, there's a free will as that is a gift from God to that human being, whether it is the child or the spouse, whether the person is two years old or 70 years old, there's a free will. Even God will not override the free will of somebody to force them to do something that they don't want to do. Now, you might say, ah, that one will go hard, small. How can I just leave this child to be doing? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying you leave the child and you see the child going the wrong path and you don't say anything. Listen to what I said. The father, surely, the same way God will not see. I mean, read through the scriptures. I mean, remember, this is, a, this is God's example to us. 
right? The, pro- the father of the prodigal son is a type of God, is a type of the kind of way God leads us as his children. Read through the, the, new, the, the Bible and you will see that God never kept quiet when Israel was going astray. He never did. All this idea of the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't really say anything. We just whisper. I mean, I say this all the time as an example. You have a child that's running into the road. Okay, two-year-old running into the road. You will say, Junior, Junior, come back. Oh, come back, oh, Junior. You will say, Junior, come back here. You will run after the child, pull the child, as in to get the child's attention. I mean, God is the same. Read through the scriptures. God never kept quiet. He will say, if I will say, I don't, you know, if I, I don't understand you people. And he will just say, raise another prophet. They, they kept killing the prophets. He will raise another one. They will kill this one. He will raise more prophets. Right? Even when Elijah said, I'm the only one left. Because you're not the only one. I still have many people speaking for me to these this people, these Israelite people, these my children. I still have many voices speaking. So you are meant to guide. You're meant to show. All right. And I and I'll come to you know how how we are how we are meant to do that in a way that is acceptable in a minute. But it's not saying that you don't continue to present the truth. You continue to present the truth. But in trying to say, listen, you must do it a certain way and trying to force the will of that person to do something, it, it comes to a point where you have to allow this person make their choice and bear the consequence. Because the truth is, some, in fact, it's not sometimes. If someone is adamant, so you've been telling this child, you know, do this, pack your bag before you go to school or whatever it is, and they, they keep forgetting something and you say, okay, fine, I'll take it to you, I'll help you or whatever it is, until you allow that child to bear the consequence of their choice, they really would not learn. My sister-in-law told me the story. So her son, essentially, <laughs> her son was... um so uh, as in her son, my nephew, he, when he was very young, she took him to a party that was near a pool or something and he couldn't swim at the point. I, maybe he was already taking lessons, but he couldn't swim very well. So they were at the party and she was there. Other parents were there with the other kids. Some of the kids that could swim were in the water and he kept, he kept bugging her. So my, my nephew kept going to his mom and saying, I want to swim. I want to swim. His mom said, you can't swim. You haven't learned. You just started taking lessons. Just wait. He was very young at this point, maybe about maybe six or seven young, maybe even younger than that. I want to swim. I want to swim. Said, no, you can't swim. Stay in this shallow end where I am and just play around, splash around. You have your float. You have anything. He said, no, that he wants to go to the deep end because yeah, I can swim. I can swim. His mom said, you can't swim. He said, I can't swim. I can't swim. And she kept saying, no, you're not going. I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you go. You can't swim. And the Holy Spirit just ministered to her that this boy that is insistent, that has made up his mind that he can't swim. If you are not there, what will he do? He would jump into the swimming pool and go to the deep end and God forbid what can happen. So the wisdom just came to her that, ah, this boy must understand where in this safe environment that he can't swim. I must allow him learn that lesson and learn by experience that you cannot swim yet. You're getting there, but you're not yet there. So she said, oh, okay, you want to swim. You want to go to the deep end fine. You can go to the deep end. I said, yes, yes, yes. I know. Mom, you said, I will show you that I can swim. 
So he took off his floats and basically went to the deep end. His feet could not touch the floor again. And of course, the boy could not swim. So he started struggling. <sighs> so she said, <laughs> so she said she left him for like 30 seconds. As he was going up and down. So, oh, then she just grabbed him and pulled him out. I was like, oh, mom, thank you. Thank you. Mom said, can you swim? He said, no, I can't swim. That is a lesson. This is what this father here did. There has to come a point where you must understand that, listen, if someone has made up their mind that this is what they choose to do, you cannot override their free will. You're not even supposed to. You're supposed to respect that decision that they have made. And in respecting that, you may need to entrust them to God, all right, in saying, if you choose to go this down this path, I will continue to support you by presenting you with the truth. I will continue to do all the other things I will talk about in a minute to try and bring you to the revelation of the truth. But you cannot try and force someone to override the free will or to steal the free will that God gave them as a gift. Second one. So the first one is respect. Let's move on to the second one. I'm still reading from Luke 15. So he says, but when he, the prodigal son, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. The second ingredient, as I said, is compassion compassion a heart that is full of compassion not judgment towards the person a heart that is full of compassion not judgment towards the person do you know what gave the prodigal son the confidence to get up and head home it was because he knew his father to be a compassionate person if his elder brother was in charge he would never have gone back how do i know he says later on he says now he's older when he came back after he came back i'm just going to skip to that he says the older son what is in the field as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing but he was angry and would not go in so he answered and said to his father lo these many years i have been serving you i have never transgressed a commandment at any time which cannot be true because nobody's perfect Right, And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted, fatted, fatted <laughs> calf for him. But notice the Bible says that he was angry and he would not go in. So he put as much distance between himself and his younger brother. Meanwhile, the father ran and hugged and kissed him and and welcomed him so the father ran to close the gap the distance between them the older brother as soon as he heard the news put more distance between him and his brother what's the difference one had a heart full of compassion one had a heart full of judgment all right he was self-righteous and a lot of times when you're pointing fingers and you are judging someone, even if it is your child, and you're saying this child is lazy, 
like they say, three, at least three fingers are pointing back at you. Okay? At least three fingers are pointing back at you. But we have become so blind to our own faults that all we can see are the faults in that person. You don't remember that when you were your child too, your father or your mother used to chase you around to do your homework. We forget that. We forget those things that you two missed some deadlines, some important deadlines that you two, you know, they'll say go and wash plates. You start crying. Just, we for you for, I mean, for you, our memories are so bad when it comes to our own flaws. Like somebody said, we write our own flaws on water and we write the flaws of people on tablets of stone. That's it. That's exactly what it is. Now, the problem with that is if you are judgmental towards the person that you are trying to help, what it actually creates is distance, distance. The moment that person, you know, falls into any kind of trouble, you are the last person they will want to come to for help. So the second ingredient is compassion. Seeing this person as, listen, there is a tug of war going on inside. And I'm going to read something to you from Romans chapter 7. Every time you, you're finding it difficult to, to let compassion, the love of God flow, and to be compassionate towards someone, and to, and to be empathetic, to not just judge, 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 judge. Go and read Romans 7, basically the whole of Romans 7, but emph emphasis on verses 21 to 25. And I'm going to read it to you in the message translation. Part of it anyway, not the full thing. He says, Paul talking about himself. He says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly or secretly rebels. And just when I least expect it, it takes charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Is there no one who can help me? He says in King James, who can deliver me from this body of death? When I want to do what is good, I have the good intentions. But there are certain habits that have become ingrained inside me that just overrides that will and i find myself going to do the things that i should not be doing etc etc so he's saying there's a tug of war when you look at it that way that this person generally inside them they too want the best for their lives but certain habits have taken taken hold of their soul the same way you have habits that have taken hold of your soul stopping you from being your absolute best so when you think of it that way, the response will no longer be trying to force someone to do something that they do not yet have the strength to do. It's like telling a, a, a one-year-old baby, right? Go and lift that car. And you are shouting at them, oh, go and lift the car. Did I not tell you? And you keep shouting. No matter how much you shout, <laughs> the child cannot lift a car. Do you understand? They don't have the strength. So when you look at it like that, you say, ah, I see. Which brings me to the third point. So Paul said, the answer, thank God, is through Christ Jesus and what he has done. Which brings me to the third ingredient, which must be going on, which is spiritual power. 
intercession. How do you strengthen, get that baby to grow to the point where it is big enough to be able to lift that car? It is in the place of intercession. Intercession. Number one, respect. Number two, compassion. Number three, intercession. And I'll finish off the story in Luke 15. How do we know that the father was praying or interceding? We know that, again, this is a picture of, of, of the father. And we know that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are continually making intercession for us. He says in Luke 15 that when he, the prodigal son, was still a great way off, his father saw him. So the father was watching out for him. And to watch in Bible is to pray. Jesus said, watch and pray. He says, I will stand upon my post and I will watch. That's prayer. To see what he will say to me. So he was watching in the place of prayer and in the place of intercession. He was watching in the place of prayer and in the place of intercession. Now, remember I said in the beginning when I was talking about um, why nagging and all those negative ways we deal with things don't work. One of the reasons was people say I've been praying, 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 but no, 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 no. It's not just any kind of prayer. You cannot pray, be praying and asking God to, 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 to change someone or to make somebody, uh, more responsible or whatever it is. But you have an image of a, a completely irresponsible man that you're carrying in your heart. You, you've wasted your time saying that prayer. That's why people say, I've been praying for him for 10 years. He's still the same. You have all prayed. They lie. Do you understand? So there are certain things, rules that you must follow when I say prayer to make intercession. And the father gives us a clue of what that is. So I'll read. It says, um, his father saw him from a, way, a long way off. He had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son launched into his speech of, oh, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I'm not, you know, I, I, can't, be your, I can't be your son again. I'm not even worthy to be a servant. Just make me like a hired slave. Just give me three square meals. I'm happy with that. He goes into all his twisted negative self-image. But what did his father say? His father said, but the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattest calf. Why do I keep saying fattest? <laughs> the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now he, his father even when he looked nothing like a prince, his words, his thoughts, and his actions continued to affirm that he was a prince. That's the difference. Even though they still look far from the thing that you want, from the image in your heart, it doesn't matter. That the closer you get to building that image in your heart, then regardless of how far they may look in their behavior, in the choices they're still making, in the natural, don't worry about that. Okay. In fact, you'll get to the point where none of those things will touch you anymore because you see them in a different way and it doesn't matter what they do anymore. The same way the father didn't cringe back and say, oh God, he's so stinky. You smell. Stand back two feet a little bit, six feet, social distancing. 
they before he even talk your mouth is smelling no he hugged him he kissed him he was oblivious to the smell to the dirt that is it gets to the point where your image of this new person that god has called this person to be so strong that what they currently are does not affect you anymore and that is when you can confidently know that god is then at work in that person's life so in the place of intercession you go with the right image if you know that your prayer is going to be effective you go with the right image intercession is much more than just launching into prayer saying i'm praying for someone no you continue to affirm that what you desire of that person to be the truth the bible talks about when peter was in prison and the angel came and delivered him and the church had gathered and had been praying non-stop for him to be delivered so peter was released by the angel he came to the door knocked on the door and a little girl opened the door and in her excitement, when she heard Peter's voice, did not open the door, just ran and went and told them, Peter is here. And they said, thou art mad. Say, you are mad with Peter. They were probably expecting that Peter would be released or delivered a certain, in another way. They didn't think it would happen the way it happened. Say, you are mad. It's not possible. How can Peter be here? But the Bible says something that is so powerful. This is what you must do. It says, even though they told her that she was mad. That it is this thing that you that you think you know is not true. It says she continued to affirm that it was so. So you wake up and this spouse is acting the same way that he's been acting or she's been acting for the same sin. You continue to affirm that what you desire and what the will of God is for that person is the truth. So instead of saying to that child, you are so stupid or you are so naughty. Why are you so annoying? Why are you always um, um, irritating your sister or your brother? Why are you always? No, no, no. You, you affirm that you are a good child. Okay? You are a responsible and obedient child. So act like it. Second example that I'm going to give from the scriptures relating to this, apart from the father of the prodigal son, was Jesus. Jesus and Peter, I mean, Jesus, the savior, the king of kings, God himself called Peter and said, Peter, you know what? You are going to deny me three times. Satan is seeking to destroy your life. What did Peter say? Peter said, lie, lie. What you're saying is not correct with Satan. He has no, he's no match for me. In fact, I will go and I will go to prison with you. Peter was bragging that he would go to prison. He would even die with Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus knew and he had, he had seen the state of his heart. He had observed that I'm telling you, wisdom is telling you, Peter, that your strength in this area is small. Once this pressure hits, this is what you're going to do. Peter did not answer. So what did Jesus do? Jesus did what left him. Do you see Jesus continuing to argue with Peter? 
Do you see Jesus saying, I'm telling you something? Do you see Jesus saying, go and tie him up in this house somewhere so that he will not have the opportunity to deny me? And what Satan was really after was this was to it was the life of Peter. Because remember, there are two people, Judas and Peter both betrayed Jesus. One, the guilt caused him to go and kill himself. That's what Satan was after with Peter as well, because he knew that Peter was a rock. He says, you're a rock. The rock of the New Testament church. So it was after his life. It wasn't even the, oh, uh, you know, I want you to betray. No, it was deeper than that. If Jesus knew that was what was going to happen and the kind of gravity of what could happen, why didn't he send Peter away and go and lock him up somewhere and say, padlock him inside and throw the key away until I've risen up from the dead? Hey. He left him. He said, okay, I've told you my own. And then he left him. He respected his free will. But did Jesus leave it there? No, he didn't. But what did Jesus do? Jesus took the image of Peter as the rock of the New Testament church, right? Into prayer. And Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And when you come out, so Jesus went into prayers. No, you, this thing will not steal your life or snatch your life. You are going to come out of this. And you will strengthen others as a result of going through the situation. So Jesus took that image into prayer and he prayed through with the image. He didn't take the image of this guy is just going to go and deny him. He's just going to go and, you know, he's just so weak. He's just so weak. I don't understand. And a lot of things we say we're doing in prayer is just complaining. You're partnering with Satan as opposed to partnering with God. You are recounting everything bad about that person, accusing the person who is the accuser of the brethren, Satan, in the presence of God, though, nonetheless, as in no less. You're going into the presence of God and you are acting like Satan and accusing the person. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. No, 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 no. This child is a, no, no, no. no. God is just, just, if not for mercy, self. Do you understand? So you take the image, you pray, but with the right image. And how do you change the image? Because the truth is, for a lot of us, we've come to the point where our hearts has been so seared. The person has done the thing over and over and over again that that is how you see them. So you, before you can have any hand in them changing, if God is going to use you to help change that person's life, you have to first of all change your image of them. It's not until they change. You now see them acting a certain way. And I say, ah, they're changed. They've changed. Then you now change. No, 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 no. If you want God to use you as an instrument for his power to flow through, to change that person's life, you cannot do it before you first of all change your image of that person that you hold. This is what it really takes to change somebody's life. That's why I said at the beginning of this, that this is for the mature. This is hard to do. Okay. It is not easy. The easier option is to nag and to continue to say things that it is and to give into emotions. Okay. I'm going to finish off by reading you a story from the book, the fourth dimension by David Yongicho. I'm just going to read it um, verbatim. And I will close with that. So he's, it says, let me tell you 
about another incident. One day I was in my office and a lady about 50 years old came in crying. Pastor, my home is completely destroyed and broken. Stop crying, I responded, and tell me about it. You know we have several sons, but only one daughter. She has become a hippie, and she sleeps with friends of my husband and with friends of my sons, going from hotel, from this hotel to that hotel, and from this dance hall to that dance hall. She's become a shame to our family, she cried. My husband cannot go to his office. My boys are dying of embarrassment, and now they're all going to leave home. I've tried everything. I've even cried to the Lord to strike her dead. Oh, Pastor Cho, what can I do? Okay, allow me commentary. Remember what I said? She was doing everything she needed to do. She had prayed, she had nagged, she had bribed, she had done all sorts. But if the only thing he did was to drive the girl further into that thing that she didn't want her to be. Okay, let me continue reading. Stop whining and crying, I told her. I now can see very clearly why God would not answer your prayer. You were presenting, listen to this carefully, you were presenting the wrong kind of mental blueprint to him. In your mind, you were always submitting just the picture of a prostitute, weren't you? She retorted, yes, well, that's what she is. She's a prostitute. But if you want to see her changed, then you must submit another mental blueprint, I told her. You must clean the canvas of your imagination and you must start drawing a new picture. But she rejected the idea saying, I can't. She's dirty. She's ugly. She's wretched. Stop talking like that. Let's draw a new picture. Let's bring to mind another kind of spotted and speckled tree. You kneel down here and I will kneel down before you. Let's go to the foot of Calvary. Let's lift up our hands. Let's look at Jesus Christ dying on a cross, bleeding and beaten up. Why is he hanging there? Because of your daughter. Let's put your daughter right behind Jesus Christ. Let's see your daughter through his spotted and speckled cross. Can't you see your daughter forgiven, cleansed, born again, and filled with the Holy Spirit, completely changed? Can you draw that picture through the blood of Jesus Christ? My own commentary. Remember Paul said, and I said, in terms of looking at someone with the eyes of compassion, you have to see them the way Christ sees them. Put away the judgment and say, this person is struggling. If given the opportunity, if given the strength, they would make the right choices. Okay, so you are basically presenting them and seeing them the way Christ will see them. I continue reading. Oh, pastor, yes, replied the mother. Now I see differently through Jesus, through the cross. I can change my image of my daughter. Wonderful, wonderful, I I exclaimed. I will draw a new picture of your daughter. Keep that clear cut, vivid and graphic picture in your mind day in and day out. Then the Holy Spirit can use you for his language is carried out with a vision and a dream. We know we are drawing the right kind of picture since we are coming to the foot of the cross. So we knelt down and prayed, oh Lord, now you see this picture, their Holy Spirit flow into this new image, this new vision and dream change 
her perform miracles. Then I sent this mother out and as she was leaving, she was all smiles. There was no more crying for her image of her daughter had changed. My own commentary. At this point, the, the daughter in the natural was just as bad and as wayward as she was. Nothing had changed in the natural, but her image of her daughter had changed. I'll continue reading. One Sunday, a few months later, she suddenly walked into my office, bringing a beautiful young lady with her. Who is this young lady? I asked. This is my daughter. She smiled. Did God answer you? She replied, oh yes, he did. Then she told me the story. One night, her daughter had been sleeping in a motel with a man. In the morning when she woke up, she felt dirty and wretched. She felt a great unhappiness in her spirit and had a desire to return home. But she was frightened and scared of her parents and her brothers. Nevertheless, she decided to risk it, saying to herself, I'll try one more time and if they kick me out, then that will be my last attempt. So she went to her parents' home and rang the bell. Her mother came out and when she saw her daughter, her countenance lit up as if the sun was rising on her face. She greeted her daughter, welcome my daughter, and rushed out to hug her. The daughter was absolutely overwhelmed by the love of her mother and she crumbled crying. Her mother had prayed and her image of her daughter was entirely changed. She had welcomed her daughter on the spot and opened wide her arms of love. Her mother brought her to the church for a period of two to three months. She listened to the sermons, confessed her sins, gave her heart to Jesus Christ, and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She became a new creation in Christ Jesus and eventually found a wonderful husband. This daughter now has three children of her own and is one of the foremost home cell unit leaders in my church. She's a burning evangelist. And this happened because her mother changed her vision and dream, applying the law of the fourth dimension. It's as simple as that. That is what it takes. If you hold the same image, no matter how much you shout, in fact, you are driving that negative image more into fulfillment in that person's life. (sighs) That's me done. (laughs) Ah, praise God. Gems. Group coaching is open at the end of November. Watch out for that. If you do not follow me on social media, uh, allow me Brigway on LinkedIn, allow me Brigway on Instagram. Um, I, I will also, when this opens, when it opens, I will also put links in, in the podcast, in the show notes. So watch out for that. Thank you. And I'll be back next week. <laughs> Bye.